Welcome back to another episode of Like Dragon Like Sun. My name is Jack Outway. And I'm Jay Outway. And it's been a little while. It has. Uh, we're a father-son podcast. If you're just tuning in for the first time, this also might be getting close to one of our last episodes. I hate to, you know, say never, never say never again. But, you know, we, uh, we've been talking all things D&D for a long time. And I think some stuff's happened this year um and as a father-son podcast we've been rethinking a little bit about even how much we ourselves are focusing on D&D Dungeons and Dragons world's greatest role-playing game we started this podcast as a way for us to talk about D&D mm. and we've grown a lot this yeah. year and I think if anything if this podcast is going forward from here um it will be you know the podcast that talks all things RPG Mm. Uh, that isn't necessarily focused completely on Dungeons and Dragons. And and a lot of that's, you know, for the reasons that, you know, D&D went through a bit of an upheaval mm. this year with its licensing, a little bit of a, a wobble. Um, but it also gave us pause and an opportunity to look at, you know, other things that were out there. And... We've talked a little bit. If you in the last couple episodes, you've heard us already talk about how we bring stuff from other RPGs into D anD. d But now, maybe just taking your table outside of D anD. d completely. Absolutely. I mean, again, uh, this intersects with uh, another change, big change in our lives, which is that, you know, I don't know if you've been listeners been able to tell that my voice has changed dramatically <laughs> since the first episode. Since the first episode, but when we started this, it was. You know, getting into high school, right? Yeah. Um, and now I've graduated, and in a couple of weeks I'll be flying off uh, to to university, which will make meeting up in person and doing these podcasts a little harder, a yeah. little, just a little bit harder. And and certainly people have done podcasts remotely, and there's opportunities that we could do something, or Absolutely. we, you know, we'll do some maybe at Christmas time. I don't know, but we don't necessarily know when the next uh, episode might be. It might be, be next week. Could be next week. Could be next Christmas. Could um, be next. But yeah, it's we're definitely into a, a, a bit of a transition in our lives. Absolutely. Uh, and so, if you've been loyal loyal listeners uh, thus far, I'd like to say, hey, thanks for coming along for the ride. Um, sorry, there hasn't been more episodes lately. Uh, hope your D and D games are going well. Um, or whatever games. You're whatever. Running. If you <laughs> which can case, run games, at I all. was going to say. So, uh, are you playing any D and D right now, Jack? No. No, no D and D at the moment. What what uh what game are you prepping right now? Right now, there's talk with some of my old um, high school buddies, um, that going into all our different directions and countries and wherever we're going to be in the future, uh, that we keep in touch through Little Blades in the Dark game. Yeah, uh, RPG by John Harper, very scoundrel, you know, not really your fantasy game, a little bit more it's a bit uh, cyberpunky. I don't think it's that cyberpunk. It's more. You've got like electric ghosts' powers and things like. Oh, uh, it's, it's like powered by demon blood that are hunted from leviathans in the the void sea. It's uh, I'd say it's if anything, it's a little steampunk. It's a little uh, what did I industrial. Say? What did I say? You said cyberpunk. Did I say cyberpunk. I'm so sorry. I meant steampunk. A little it, steampunk. The look on your face where you're like, no, it's not cyber, and I'm like in my mind, I'm like, it's so steampunk, and I'm sorry. But the words in my brain were not engaged mm. there. I'm so sorry. Steampunk. You should definitely give it a check. Uh, definitely. It's one of the best RPGs yeah, out there. Yeah, well, we've, I've stolen a few ideas from it. Um, and I've quite liked the ideas of 
uh, of using clocks and of using things that you know, generate heat for your your squad and mm. borrowing these for this Nebula of Madness campaign setting that I've been working on for ages now. But, you know, the the thing I've been working on is that I'm no longer making it like a D&D exclusive type thing. I'm trying to make it so that it's a lot more system agnostic that yeah. even writing the adventures and things into it, you kind of write instead of saying something like, oh, you're going to do a, you know, a dexterity DC 16 check. Instead, you sort of indicate that, you know, now would be a time if, you know, you're using a, a luck system in your game of any sort or skill-based system that your character is going to want to try and do something dexterous to yeah. uh, see whether this, which way the story goes here. You know, a lot of systems, and especially this is the truth of Blades in the Dark, is that there isn't one approach. There isn't a prescribed skill or attribute you must sure. roll. There are three or four different approaches to every obstacle um, that each player will find. Some may be more effective than others. They're not all equal. But um, it's about that creative response. You know, it's not just I deal hit point damage to this creature. It's I try and uh, swing at their their arm and uh, see if I can maybe damage their, their strong hand and force them to attack with their off weapon or, you know, I try to trip him up and disarm them of their... You know, there's all these other ideas that you have rather than just, oh, this thing has 60 hit points. Uh, I can describe it however I want, but at the end of the day, I just did seven of those 60 hit points, and I will repeat this process maybe four five more times uh, until it is no longer alive. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm alone in this. I don't think I am, but I find combat in D&D has gotten really boring. For the moment... At the moment, it's gotten a little, a little formulaic. You know, there's a, a, a procedure that goes down, and um, we I, even our previous episodes. I think even I think about our little Panda PvP episode or whatever. I mean, a lot of those tips are truthful about however you choose to play Dungeons and Dragons. You can add, you know, interesting terrain and things to interact with, and um, you know the way that the environment changes or the way that monsters gain special actions that they do each round to call back up or make themselves stronger or, you know, change the stakes and the tension and the conflict. Um, I think those rules all help with combat, but a part of me feels like it's sometimes you got to get to the core of the apple, you know? And to me, the disadvantages that I've encountered with D&D combat, which I used to love, and I think the system is very designed around most of the system rules don't tell you how social interaction is supposed to work you know that's handled by you know three or four skills called persuasion deception intimidation and performance you know the rules on that are incredibly simple and intuitive Uh, the rules for combat are crunchy and um, it is this sort of semi uh, strategy war game Um, but uh, and that's great Uh, strategy war game is great but I feel like a lot of the D&D community has been seeing Critical Role, seeing these other things, seeing what they do, um, or even not, even just personally wanting to tell more narrative or cinematic-based stories, right, uh, with the, their games, their tables. And to me, D&D Combat is not the engine that I want to use for that anymore. I don't find it to be um, particularly evocative, you know, especially, yeah. I mean, some players can pull it off, but I even think you can see it in the Critical Role table, I, I feel at times as well, you know, Matt gives all this effort into making this 
amazing map, brings it out to the table. Everyone goes, whoa, and you see all the Dwarven Forge and all the, you know, special minis that they've made and the smoke machines and everything. And that is very impressive. And I love that. That's nothing. That's not the rules. None of that is D&D. But then it gets into a long, boring grind for the next three hours. Yeah, sure. Right. Exactly. Does maybe the terrain changes a little bit. People go, ooh, again, whenever that sort of happens. And that's very clever that, you know, Matt's thought about that. Right. But again, to me, the system is not conducive to creating changes in your environment. It's not it, it doesn't propel that kind of gameplay. It's a matter of all the little modifiers that change how your little hit point pools and their little hit point pools over time and there are statuses that make it harder for them to affect your hit point pools and you know you've got to manage your resources to make sure and that's a very it's a game into itself gamey approach look and you know? we we've we ran and i've done these a number of times for friends online or in person where we just run a fight night fight we night. get we get a hey. cool map we get minis out everybody makes up a character that can dish out crazy amounts of damage we throw some big monsters on it and we spend two to three hours bashing away yeah, uh, and sometimes things. I'm and, in the mood for a big old math problem, and, and I it love is, it. And we right? do changing terrain, and we do all those things that I talk about, you know, stuff that comes in and out of it, other problems to solve, um, layer actions, special movement for the monsters, all sorts of things that keep Testing things, out a homebrew that I feel yeah, is kind of neat well, and that feels and fun. And letting players with their special and, cool builds deliver crazy stupid amounts of damage on their special attacks and putting all these little things together. People like sort of doing that, testing it all out. And, and that, in some ways, is what D&D, mm-hmm. you know, is set up to do, is to play what is essentially a couple hours of a combat sort of, uh, you know, game on a, on a tabletop. Uh, but I don't really think that's role-playing game. That's not as much RPG mm-hmm. as that is, like, a more akin to Warhammer tactical battle sort of yeah. type And stuff. Warhammer takes it to a bigger scale, obviously. Ooh, yeah, yeah way sure. armies and all that stuff, where this is a little bit more personal. But hey, what it's cool, though. It's like, cool. don't be wrong, we've played a bunch of that, and I think maybe I've played too much of it. I don't know. There's, like, a limit of how much you can do before you kind or of, Or at like, least right now, yawn. it's like, like you go to the buffet... At your local <laughs> diner, you know, there's a big Ford food court you've got, and you always go to KFC, right? Yeah. Maybe KFC's fun, and it's, you know, fried chicken, yum, whatever, right? Try someone else, yeah. you know? Or at least I I can't do KFC every day. And I think this, you know, this podcast, if you were here in the beginning, you know, one of the first things we did was to create, we were sort of saying, hey, come listen to us talk about how we build characters differently mm-hmm. that we are going to subvert a class we made a warlock but he was far more look like a big fighter barbarian type guy with a big log and a little dog that ran around healing him and and the you know we were quite pleased with ourselves with some of our our builds early in D&D because we like that we broke out of the system we broke away from the usual look and feel and vibe of mm. you know the edgy warlock that's kind of like boring because we see it a million times and i feel like this podcast like where we are now and what we're talking about it's just a, a grown-up extension of where we began you know years ago mm. and now saying instead of just like well instead of just twisting the the class let's twist everything let's yeah. let's let's take the whole set of mechanics and decide what we're we wanted or don't want to do with it absolutely and i think with those characters especially a lot of those builds i mean some of it was oh look at the numbers that we can pump out or but i don't think it was ever about making a powerful character 
It was never about making no, we, the, we were the quite, highest damage dealer we were quite that clear. was competitive with across all class levels. And, you know, we didn't pick classes because they were the most optimal choice, right? No, no, we were and quite clear it wasn't going to be min and max. That's a type of game, and my friends love to play that game. Oh, yeah. And it's impressive to see. And there right? are podcasts out there who will teach you how to min max. And they understand it. And I used to get it for a while. You know, I, I don't know if I follow it as much anymore. But what I found now, the features that really speak to me aren't. You know, you can add your intelligence modifier to attack and damage rolls. It's like, okay, well, whoop de doo you know? Or I can add a D6 to all spells I cast that do fire damage. Like, oh, my God, you know? I mean, yeah, it feeds to this fantasy of being this powerful pyromancer or such and such or a person who uses their wits for, for things. But it's such, uh, to me, whenever things are too tied to... The numbers and the mechanics, it starts to lose, it, it starts to, I don't know, it's a bit of a snooze fest for me sometimes. The powers that I really like to see are the ones that are like, uh, and you see them with backgrounds as well, and I think they could really make backgrounds more powerful. Those features, those things that let you, oh yeah, any average citizen, you walk up to them, you need safe shelter, they trust you, they'll let you in, you've got that rustic hospitality about yeah. you, you know, or there's some in other games, like there's one in the Spire where you can, there's a push yourself in limited use mechanics, of course, um, but maybe once per scene, you can uh, just insert yourself into any conversation between NPCs that's going on, right? Or like any sort of social scene and like, boop, you're there now, right? Uh, and sort of this way that sort of Batman your way into the, into the thing. There's abilities like that that are much more about manipulating, you know, what's going on in the circumstance, what's going on in the fiction, right? Yeah. These other tools in the tool belt. It's more like a, rather than a, a plus one longsword, it's like a grappling hook, right? Yeah. To me, the grappling hook's way more interesting than a plus one longsword. Well, suddenly that with the grappling hook, you now have the ability to climb There's more kind of traversal options, yeah. right? And whether I'm traversing a, a sheer cliff face or this you know, shady deal with this broker of some magic duster, you know, that's some entity beneath the city that, you know, all the situations, all the conflicts, all the whatever, rather than just being able to do so in a way that is most optimal and efficient and does the most, you know, probability or damage output and things. And look, don't get me wrong. Again, that's a flavor that I enjoy. Sometimes I wrote a whole essay about it for my, yeah. my, you know, schoolwork, right? It interests me. But at the moment, to me, the best kind of spells even out there, things like the wall spells, things like the the polymorph kind of spells, I'm um, sure they've got mechanics attached to them, but it's never been about the, you know, it's never been about how much damage does polymorph do. The zero. doesn't do any damage at all. You know, simulacrum, you know, very powerful spell, clone, you know, but these teleport even these spells are enticing to me at least because they speak to this ability this new tool you have within the fiction uh to solve problems with i uh i wrote a module this week um where there's a a scene where your your ship is being chased uh into this this massive ice storm this perpetual monster ice storm uh known as the mother of comets and this is you know it's a it's a basic trope in in you know a lot of sci sci-fi stuff where the you know you your choice is your only choice to survive because the ship that's chasing you is so outgunning you that you know maybe if you can lose them inside the big 
gas cloud or sandstorm or in this case ice storm you know so you're like okay well this is you know usual sort of trope but always that trope comes with a with a cost right mm. that going into said storm is going to be rough for sure now the alternative was you know you were dead so anything uh, less than dead is a win in this situation um so the it's up to the play you leave it up to the players at this point so the the dm asks everybody or the gm asks everybody to make one physical and one mental sacrifice and to sort of think of what they would be doing on the ship that would bring that would bring that you know sacrifice to where the how they're helping somebody else or things and you can you can incur like a long-term injury or some sort of uh, mental health thing you could lose memories you could uh, lose uh, magic items you could you know you make a sacrifice of some sort mm -hmm. and there's a little clock on this um, and each player goes around and depending on how big a sacrifice they might you know be able to sacrifice anywhere between five and ten sort of points on it and it's up to the dm also how many points to award for that i give a little bit of a, of a guidelines so that you, yeah, you, how many you don't ticks on the clock too many but not too but again also I'd, I'd give extra points if the players does a really great job of describing themselves and the pain that they're going through uh as they're trying to save the ship and their crew members and you know the cost that that comes to them um through the whole course of that and you go around the table and everybody tells their tale of woe of how they're keeping the ship up and then whatever's left on the clock the ship takes uh, in terms of its sacrifice to keep the crew uh, alive, mm. and you know, and it, it, that's everything up to be, you know to a point of basically <laughs> wreckage, which hopefully wouldn't be that much. Everybody in the crew should have given enough. If they don't, then you're you know you're in wreckage zone, and so you can kind of make that clear to them, yeah, and so that they know ahead of time going into it. And so everybody tells this bit. Everybody's lost and been set back, but then they get to the center of the storm and they find this amazing uh husk of a dead god which has which is still dreaming kind of semi-frozen state and they can with that they gain some serious uh buffs so yeah you, you put your players through a bit of a sacrifice but now and of course when they get in there's another couple puzzle things to sort of sort out and do but that whole narrative bit and required no rolling I mean, you could have a role in there if somebody's like, well, what if I try blah, blah, blah. And you do, the, say, the role for dramatic effect, right? Where or you roll to, yeah, to 2d20 the, and take the furthest the from 10. Does it, and, does it work? And either, in either way, if it works, fantastic. They Maybe they don't have to lose so much and it's, it works really well. But if they do, it does goes really badly, yeah, you take a bit more from them, but it still succeeds, right? Like their failure comes at a greater cost, but it sure. still saves the ship. Yeah, um, but as long as I think you establish ahead of time does this role can this role fail you know and i'd see a lot of posts say that if a role cannot fail or cannot succeed then don't bother rolling right yeah sometimes a role is just to see how severe like yeah. maybe you can always succeed well, but it, how again how much a, of that if a player had a really take, great right? idea that wasn't actually didn't look like it was going to cost them anything and it could really save the whole ship it, you know like i don't know what items they have or what may be going into this whole thing but a sandbox in scenario like this is to sort of stay open to player creativity um and if they come up with really good you'd i i suggest there is a dice roll for that but apart from that you can do this whole scene which could be quite meaningful to the players and to everything 
uh, to the game, just to the everybody at the table um, without a single role. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody sort of, and you're, and it's a weird thing to be asking everybody to, to make sacrifices, to come up with, to give something, uh, like that. But it's also, I guess, you know, this is a setting dependent thing, the setting that the world I'm playing in, there's, there's ample treasure and ample things that, you know, uh, for the players to, to, you know, restock and rebuild with. It's not, it's not the sort of place where the players are going to feel so, um no. upset if they they lose a few things so but i think this idea again of other ways that we can kind of depict conflict because to me the most interesting part and this is why i think D leans so heavily on combat is because story and interesting moments come from moments of conflict right and combat i think in a lot of fantasy games or whatever uh you're you know you're playing it's it's a huge source of conflict right yeah at least it's the first one that jumps to our mind we think about action movies combat is usually what dominates right, right? well you look at the lord of the ring movies you know you're how much f- of those are battles you're fighting something all the time i don't know i don't know how often they're fighting versus mm. there's other kinds of conflict how many how can we convince everyone to join us on our quest to mordor how can we you know deal with the the slippery woods and the weird guy who sings songs what, what was his name <laughs> tom bombadil but tom bombadil i was thinking more about the films but yeah you're right in the books it's even the more books, it, again there's more conflict than just combat right and it's this trial it's this sacrifice you make and i think roles can play obviously a part in that but you speak to this and i think we see it sometimes i've had this happen in games and i think some dms clock onto this is the idea of like a skill gauntlet yeah. right that a player can suggest any skill to attempt to roll against, right? They can, yeah. uh, there's always a risk. Everyone's, there's a risk and everyone's gonna make a sacrifice and it could be worse or better or more effective to achieving the goal than whatever, but everyone's contributing in this group to this thing. And I think skill gauntlets could also be, I mean, again, what if we uncouple a challenge with, from a specific kind of role, right? Uncouple the, you know, in the adventure module, it says you must succeed on a DC 14 athletics check to move the boulder, right? What if I'm not moving the boulder? What if I'm blowing up the boulder? Yeah. What if I'm teleporting myself through the boulder? What if I'm, uh, you know... What if I'm convincing the troll that we came across a while ago to move the... Yeah. uh, And in fact, as a game design, it's even better when, as a game master, that you stop and you think, all right, yeah, I'm going to put a big boulder here, but yeah, I'm going to put a troll here and the whole puzzle is essentially how to convince the troll to move the boulder or even maybe how to avoid convincing the troll to eat you, you know? well that might be part of the problem as well it might be a, a several step puzzle to sort of get past um and if there's a particularly cunning troll they're like oh yes of course i'll move the boulder <laughs> crash the second year um yeah well how much can you trust the troll not to put the rock back or, or how much can they will you give to make the troll do it yeah. yeah and i don't know that that is role play game suddenly yeah that's rpg so much more rpg than i i just roll the dice to convince the troll to do something or whatever like exactly you actually got to talk it of course it means you intelligent troll and you need to have a cup of a character and as a game master you've got to be ready to be able to play the troll mm-hmm. you gotta know what the troll wants but you can't tell everybody what the troll wants no um well it depends and then, and then you've also got to be playing yes and you've got to really let the players come up with fun stuff and kind of let everything they do move the needle a little bit. Mm-hmm. If they hit, really get on to what's going, then it, you, you give them See the, the sense that effect, they're right? they're moving 
it exactly. better is that they keep tracking down that road. And this can but, be spoken in the rules or unspoken in the rules, but it's again this idea of not measuring DC even, but measuring how good is it if they succeed? How you know it based on what they've told me they are trying to do. Yeah. How potent can success be? And how bad can failure be, yeah. right? And Blades in the Dark really codifies this into position and effect. Position is like controlled. You know, you've got it. It's not super risky. There's still a chance, but you've got this under control. Even if you fail, it's not going to be too bad. You know, the consequences are reduced, right? Uh, then it gets to risky and even desperate. And you get rewarded for making desperate roles. The thing is, if you fail desperate roles, it is catastrophically bad. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's not based on a, oh, it's a DC 20, so your chance of success is never... You could change that mindset. The chance of success is always there. Yeah. But based on what you've told me, success in this case is avoiding getting trampled, right? Yeah. It's, it's you know, maybe not exactly getting the king to hand over the kingdom, but you've, again, I see this analogy all the time. You've entertained him enough to at least not have him suspect you of treason and maybe offer you a position in his as his court jester, right? Yeah. Or, or something of the like. You've ingratiated yourself, right? Well, there was a we talked about a system a while back that had two d six that you rolled, or you could just roll one d six. A, I guess it was a six. Um, was a strong success. Six is a full. Yeah, this is Blaze in the Dark. Yeah, Blaze in the Dark uses the same. And number? also, I think there was powered a, by the apocalypse uses a similar system. I didn't, yeah, maybe it was, it was another one I was looking at too. So you roll, you know, one, two, three, four, five, all minor success. You can't. I believe really, there's another distinction. And with then, five, though. and then. The idea was that you could roll a second dice mm. and see if you could get a six or a seven, which was like a success, strong success. But if you went over, you bust. Right. And then bad things happened. And so it was a, gamb- a, a little bit of a gambling thing of putting the extra dice in. But I get this idea, you know, working those sorts of ideas with your players at the table as well when they encourage them to try kind of, kind of uh, crazy ideas or something like that. Um, but it's a yes and it really is People so much daring, an important right? improv thing that as a DM not to get too locked in your own mindset of what the troll wants like you might have this idea okay troll wants X but then when the players you know maybe she thinks you know what I bet he likes something shiny and she opens up her her family jewels and brings out a necklace that's quite meaningful to the, her family or her something and offers it you know to the troll and in a moment like that, even though you were never thinking trolls were going to go for shiny, the level of sacrifice and thing that she's trying and the creativity and the output, you ha- you have to go with that. Mm-hmm. You have to honor that and think, okay, yeah, that's where the story's going to go now. We're going with that. Boom. And you go, yes, and. And that was a big thing. That really started to move the troll. That's changed things hugely. And no dice rolls required here. None. It's This is, this is just, you know, you can purely see somebody who has, is in character doing something meaningful. Yeah. But then do a twist. Make uh, I'd say press the choice. Make the choice harder. Make it uh, reconsider. You know, make the tension. Raise the stakes somehow. Right. The troll sees it, and instead of treating it like some sort of sentimental object, sees it as a yummy rock snack. Right. And uh, is totally, uh, completely careless of the uh, sentimental attachment that the the player has to it. And yeah, so there it, has to be this you know, oh, do I really want to, like, this is, my character is being tested now, right, uh, on their convictions, how much they're willing to give uh, for this this support, right? Yeah. 
Um, but again, how, as a DM, I'd say don't make it be like, oh, he's, the troll seems uninterested. Try something else, right? Exactly like you said. Yes, and also like drive those thumbs in. Well, yeah. you know? and then and that's up to you to decide at your table how well is the scene going. Mm-hmm. Like, how long do you want to draw this out for? Is it still interesting for everybody? Uh, otherwise, let's you know move move it along. You know, yeah, let's let's get this done. Shift the Jump camera. Jump to action. Jump to action. Don't have them walking down the hallway forever. Don't have them. This is just okay. Yeah. And boom, now we're here. Boom. And boom. You are already at the first obstacle. Move the camera. By the time you're in, you're the scene in, begins. Yeah, you're. Yeah. yeah. I mean, heist things. Let's just jump right into. Jump straight to where action Not like begins. how did you get in or how to pass the guard. Just Forget like it. we're gonna assume that with all the prep and planning that the players have done, that, that is just taken. And you could actually just narrate it. You could just, if no. you wanted to give it to them quick, you could. Forget players planning as well. What This is another Blades of the Dark yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, because player planning goes on forever. That is not why I came to play at the table, is not to be waffling with oh, Jesus, the rest of my party. On. I'm like, I have well, literally well, spent the other four hours oh planning heist God. at the table people. With people spend hours planning. Yeah. What you do instead, this is how Blades in the Dark does it. If you're doing fantasy, these might be other options. And I thought this was really sort of very simple process. There's like six different types of operations, sort of things you can do. There's like an attack. There's stealth or like methods of entry. You're, you know, getting the mission started. Is it a stealthing into an entry point? Is it a delivering something, right? Is it a, you know strange sort of occult ritual you're trying to begin right or or you're interfere with or steal or whatever right pick that type and each of those maybe maybe just write right up you know in your your party does these kinds of missions and these kinds of things or there could be this different kinds of approach right give three options right be like there's the method of charging in the front door and attacking such and such and duh, and then such and such and duh, right Make them pick one of those, and then each of those has a little detail. If they're attacking, what is the point of attack? If they're performing a, uh, you know, delivery, what is the transportation method, right? Just add one small caveat and detail to give a little bit of whatever. And then what Blaze in the Dark does is they do what's called an engagement roll, right? A bunch of dice are collected. There's a bunch of ways you can add dice, right, or lose dice. But it's mostly each major advantage gives you a bonus die, and each major disadvantage makes you lose one, right? Otherwise, you just roll one. D6, could be D20, could be whatever. Roll it. If it's that good result, that six that we're talking about, you begin in a great position, you know? You're, you know, nothing's gone wrong yet. You're you're smooth criminals. You're going through this, you know, no hiccups. You're, you're fly, right? Uh, if it's four or five, it's a mixed success, uh, the mission begins and things are already shaky. Something's gone wrong. You're not completely off path, you know, but things are already getting a bit riskier. And then if you roll one through three, then, wow, something went wrong. Maybe the alarm's already gone off. Things are already desperate, right? Uh, there's no, like, how did that happen? Uh, whatever. Sentence, hand wave, whatever. Cut to the action. Here we are right now. No time to worry about how, you know, you know what exactly the system the alarm you know maybe it wasn't what you expected you have to deal with the consequences of this now get right into it right it could feel a little unfair i think you have to kind of set expectations it only feels unfair if the players feel they have no way that they're going to be able to get out of it exactly right there's got to be a way out but yeah if now the puzzle that you've presented them is the 
is the the escape, the getting getting out mm. sort of thing. And if you have mechanics where each player gets one chance to say, well, what I did in the setup for this was to arrange an X sort well, of thing. Well, that happens. happens later, right? Yeah. Don't have that at the beginning. Get right to the action, right? And then later, and this is again what plays in the dark does, which I think is genius, is something comes up and there's like, oh shoot, we have nothing to address this. Ah, hold on flashback right yeah. and we've talked about flashbacks in previous episodes another great way to eliminate planning right yeah. and that is that on the moment the player suddenly goes whoa, 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 yeah. rewind Does back flashback. to how the other day i talked to this guy and i actually learned the secret sign language that these guys are speaking now how plausible how much effort how feasible that thing it was for them to do you know Maybe they're infiltrating this maximum security prison, and it's like, oh, uh, flashback to when I stashed a gun here. It's like, uh, how did <laughs> this mean that in the past you either contacted someone or came here to stash a weapon? Again, not saying no, but that's a big thing. Maybe there's even a role there well, in that's that moment. What, that's how successful that's where I that, love that role right? for dramatic effect. Anytime where players have asked for something like really crazy that you're like, okay, well, we'll roll 2d20, we're going to take the farthest from 10. But it's not a no. If you roll low, it's not no that didn't happen. Well, no, the gun shows up, and it's, like, missing its bullets. Or and... it's you You go to check the gun, and you see that there's one of the prisoners, and he's sitting on the toilet and exactly. pointing it at he's you, got it. right? Full there's metal a, jacket style, complications right? uh, that are complications that are part of the failure of it. Something happens. Um, you know, wild success? Yeah, come on. We're heroes. We're having fun. The dice said we can go quick with this, so we're going to go through this part easily doesn't mean the rest of the adventure is like it's it's lost its fun no. and the one other thing that i think is great not all games will work with this but it's a similar idea to the flashback mechanic a little bit different though and it's to do with equipment that you have on you yeah the idea that you can reach into your pocket and pull out the thing that you need for this moment because you'd prepared and you'd planned right yeah. and so what it does instead of just having an inventory of stuff you buy beforehand like maybe in D D, we'd go to the oh the shopping episode the God. oh i gotta get the rations and we gotta get the torches and we gotta get the such and I such I got it as a DM. I got to play yet another shopkeeper. Right. But even those, I mean, torches, rations, whatever, dungeon delves, dwindling resources, it's hard to kind of use this mechanic, in my opinion, in the same way. This is more for missions and jobs where you have things you need, like I need a weapon or I need, again, let's say a grappling hook or I need the right documentation for this moment, right? Or I need a disguise I can switch into. No worries. You pull out from your briefcase, your suitcase, your whatever that you brought with you that perfect item. You hadn't even knew you needed that beforehand. So how does the system work? Essentially, it uses weight not as a, oh, this is slowing me down. That's not the main point of it. Yes, it can do that. The main point of this idea of weight or load that you take on is how conspicuous you look, right? Yeah. Uh, if you take a lightweight, there's more. You can hide stuff on you. You're not carrying that much. You look like a regular you know, civilian, right? The more you take on, the more you look like this. Uh, this thug, you know, this operative on a mission that looks suspicious, yeah. like they're carrying weapons and armor and lots of crazy things with them. Um, but what happens then, you just pick this load number, and it gives you a number of items, essentially. Uh, you don't pick them then. What happens is on the mission, you can cross off one of those little free ticks you got. Again, the more, the heavier you took on. Uh, and then just pull out the item you needed, right? And its weight will take off more ticks or it's, you know, like a big old sniper rifle might have taken two boxes, right? Um, but you don't need to justify, oh, where did I get the rifle? Where did I, you know, I just, uh, was I, did, was it always on me? It's like, yep, yes, it was. And in this moment, you pulled it out from this hiding spot or this whatever uh, that you 
set up before, no issue, and now you've got this item on you, right? Uh, and I love that. That we, we even the first time we played Blades in the Dark, we did that wrong, and it felt so clunky, and it took up so much time, and it felt we're like, oh wow, the equipment system in this game is just not great. We just didn't understand it. Yeah. And I would implement this in D and D games as well that aren't just you know the slow burn of watching the party's forty torches turn to thirty torches, turn to twenty torches, right? That's not how you really run it. It's a uh, uh, you know I pull that torch out of my back pocket. That's one of my item slots, and you know light it and the, yeah. the tunnel lights up right and that was one of my load you know stock you know things that i could just pull out and that's a dwindling resource yeah right the dwindling resource is how many times you can creatively come up with the item that's perfect for the situation not the i i've, only, I've only played D once as a player where i myself made it so that i couldn't recover my crossbow bolts and that i had a dwindling number of them of a special brand that my character really liked to use. And that was fun for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really about anybody else at the table. It wasn't the DM pushing that on me because he thought his game would be more fun because of it. I thought my game would be more fun because of it. And that was, you know. Sure. And uh, item tracking is not the worst but thing. But otherwise, most, I mean, the thing that does bug me a lot about D&D is the, if you're not playing with, like strict tough encumbrance rules the people walking around with the most ridiculous amounts of equipment on them well the, the hoarding that ends up happening all the, the there beard. was a there was a time in critical role where yasha after like th- four years of playing pulls Forgot a, that pulls a lance it. out of her pack pocket yeah, that she just had on her the whole, the whole time, time. And, and it's like and everybody kind of shrugged it off but also part of me is like no like i don't that i don't want games that do that that's just I mean, I think most people I play with their players, their characters are usually pretty, you know, pretty leanly. Like, you know, the, the equipment they have is just kind of the equipment they need. Sure. Um, some people have a backpack for them with, like, you know, a bunch of stuff in it. little things like pitons and hammers that no one ever ends up using. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes using. But if you're but again, make a habit of using it. But right? again, why not use more of a system where oh, you need something that's going to secure a door open. Well, this is your chance to... And maybe that's a... If you're thinking about what classes operate with in certain of these systems, if we're moving away from combat, what if your class gives you this list of items that you can suddenly pull out? Like, I don't think it's that unreasonable that a certain cleric might be able to just, you know, pull a vial of holy water out or yeah. suddenly flip open this when, uh, prayer book that has information on such and such yeah. or, you know, this... Why aren't those what class features really are? Yeah, right? Like, why aren't those the class features? Or, like, again, rogues. that's what Blades in the Dark does. Again, these playbook classes, they give you a supply of these items that you're, as this class archetype, can expect to reasonably have on you. Rogues rogues usually have thieves tools. Or thieves tools, yeah. That's a great one. Um, And I've made other classes and put thieves tools in their their skills. Oh, thieves tools are just useful. Um, And I'm glad I have. I mean, I did it once with my funny barbarian doctor and had her uh whenever she had to pick a lock although her school wasn't quite as good as other other decks was getting up there she would just pull out like bobby pin out of her hair sure and that was her like those were her thieves tools <laughs> sort of thing so she was always picking locks with bobby pins which i thought was hilarious yeah um but this is D like doesn't matter who cares <laughs> just window dress it however you want yeah. and i think it's what rpg should be at a table like that your character should have something that's that's fun and cool and about them and yeah and the, their ability to pull that thing out and do 
they're you know the stuff that moves the story forward remember what we're trying to do here is we're trying to we're all trying to share in an adventure mm-hmm. we're all trying to go someplace we don't need to be sitting at a table for 10 minutes working a door that's not a lot of adventure there unless this door is oh yeah I, we all know that there's something sure, right there's a reason what's it's the locked. conflict though right yeah where's well, the that's where's the raising tension well there Maybe should the room be. is slowly filling with acid or right? we're being there you go that we're makes being the door we're work. being chased and we get through the door before the things get to us and we can slam the door just as they all pile up against exactly it. right that's the effect you want of course of course of course or you're um, unlocking the door because someone else is on the inside and also the idea of beast. your biggest strongest guy in the party strength 18 whatever not being able to just kick down an average yeah. door of course they can what's the point of being big big and strong in this game if you don't because well, like, you want to be challenged right? i know exactly and it, again the only reason you're rolling is because said door is so stiff that it's more fun to build tension because baddies are coming and you might take a couple turns while they you know enemy approaches that might be good but otherwise don't roll for these things you know characters should who are good at things just do or are good at things uh, and away you go. Keep the go yep. the story moving. Absolutely. Um, and again, I think a moment ago we mentioned the idea of like a, a little bit of a disdain for hit points, as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Um, because I think they're an unnecessary abstraction. You know, they're the one thing in this crunchy system that we choose to simplify to the point where it renders the fantasy obsolete, right? Like. Again, the creative decision to approach a challenge in a u- unique way has no, like, there's no codified effect unless it's, you know, I think about Battlemaster Maneuvers as one example where they try and actually make different approaches of doing these, you know, un- disarming an enemy or something. But you have to have the disarming strike feature if you'd want to possibly imagine to uh, perform this special way of interacting with an enemy. Without it, you physically cannot disarm it or at least it's not you know again disarming strike it's not guaranteed there's still a role you have to make that's what disarming normally is right yep like as a dm a a player doesn't have the disarming strike feature but they still want with this uh blade they want to catch it and then do that sort of thing where they like swirl you know they they, there's this sort of circling motion that kind of ousts it from the enemy's hands right if they don't have the disarming strike feature as a dm you could be like uh i don't yeah, but you would never like I would never say uh, no I, I don't think you can do that of course you can do that of course you can try and do that Why oh not? I want to slide through this enemy's you know feet oh do you have maneuvering strike oh, we're not we're not the... playing with uh, tumbling through enemy spaces where uh, I'm like oh god I'm almost over the battle map for that whole reason as well oh yeah theater of the mind let's just play theater of the mind and don't get me wrong again I love the dwarven forge maps I think they're beautiful I, I know no, right? no, me too. and I I've got some beautiful animated online ones oh, that yeah. we've played they're gorgeous. with virtual t- tabletops I've done some great stuff Like I would even get rid of the grids on them oh my god they're so good um, uh, and when you can with the VTT because you when you drag your character you get a line that shows how many feet you moved forget the feet yeah get I, rid of them. I know like movement movement um, forget opportunity attacks as well uh, they yeah. lock people in place. They they discourage moving around and trying to get to new positions or yeah. or back up and rethink your plan or cause an enemy to try and chase you or uh, you know yeah they if, suck. Well, and they keep if, everyone locked in place. Or if you want to have it so that's more you know again talking D and D. But if you drop opportunity taps, but you keep the marking targets, sure, um, which allows you to make a opportunity attack that doesn't use up your 
reaction. But, you know, it can, it's just one of these things that certain fighters or things might want to try and do, especially if they've got some extra moves. It allows a little combination of things. But you're right, things will move around more. And they might forget that you've got this ability to mark them, and when they move, you get another hit on them or whatever. And then as a fighter, you sort of like, hey, I've got something that's kind of cool that not everybody does have. Or, you know, I don't know. Again, the, the rules... Gygax once said... <laughs> The great secret about D and D is that you don't need any of the rules. No, but again, uh, it is true. I like don't know. you can, there's you can, that, there's that. But again, you people can play need with it stimulation. People, I mean, there's a reason there are a billion different rule sets, and there's a reason we've been talking for the past forty minutes about how these interesting alternative rules provide new, prov- provoking thought, interesting, you know, ways to approach design of. Uh, of missions, right? Think about mm. the way that someone would approach a dungeon delver if they can reach into their back pocket X number of times and pull out the perfect item they need, or if they're, you know, the it's not they don't have hit points, but instead they've got uh, maybe five wound slots, and each of those slowly begin to get filled with these flavorful descriptions of, you know, gash, uh, bleeding out from left leg, right, or or spider venom in uh coursing through my my left arm right or uh, yeah, uh yeah. whatever right these but, things again but what if there's an expectation unwritten again unspoken expectation that those things are more than just a healing potion away from being forgotten true. right that they're marked on the page and they are themselves prompts and suggestions and modifiers that make your uh, description of any further effort uh, strained and that tension that rises right I liked uh, I like this idea of hit points start at zero everybody's got zero and then you when you get hit you add up more hits onto you that you have taken but what is the hit well it can be a various variety it, of but, things but I look at my character sheet and I see I've been hit five times I right. don't see the well that's okay because it really it's it's part of uh, the narrative tool then Right. The characters, as they started taking more and more and more hits sort of in it, as a DM, you can decide in certain scenarios that, you know, they can take more, they can take less. Or at which point a certain characters, you're like, you know, you're now, you know, that hit, you know, that's opened up this major wound. You're bleeding out. You know, you're you're struggling to sort of stay conscious. Like you can sort of add those things into the story, and the player's not going to go, oh, well, that's not fair, because they're going to look and go, oh, yeah, well, I do have 30 hits, so that'll seem like a lot. Um, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're there enough for you to sort of justify when narrative things can start to happen, but also you don't have to let them get in the way if you don't want them to. Like, it's really hard for a player to sort of say, well, I keep going even though I'm at zero hit, like, if I've been reduced to zero. But if you've got no top end, like, if... It can be kind of flexible then, and you can decide that maybe the player makes it all the way through the battle. The main fighter, Barbarian, he has taken 120 hits on this, and he's grinded through, and he's finished it, but he's dead at the end of this combat. Like, he's going to, you know, they're going to be performing magical rites in order to get his life back because he is dead, dead. I mean, I see the idea of flipping it, but a part of me wonders, like, what does it change, right? I suppose it changes the idea that the that you've got this whole thing that you've got to that's got a you know oh i'm down okay well we're gonna do this to get you back up or whatever yeah oh i know i know i know i mean but it's 
And I know there's lots of ways in D&D &D people change up how death works, how death saves work, how whatever sort of works. And I'm just sort of saying that, you know, what I'm loving most about the RPG part of, of it is empowering the players to act out playing hurt, fighting wounded. This being... is why I don't like the idea of just making it a number, though, the yeah. number of hits I've taken. It's... To me, it's not as interesting as well, maybe looking if, down at my character sheet and seeing what each of those hits means, sure. right? Seeing each of those blows against me and being like, oh, I guess it would kind of be hard to swing my big claymore given the fact that, you know, my left arm is seized up with sure. uh, scorpion venom, right? Like, exactly. Well, this is it. When you say what type of hits they are, that's actually an important, very important part of the story. What hits you? I mean, that's a huge question. Like, I'm where hit points really are just generic when we're talking about them in this sort of situation. But in story, the the thing that got you is going to tell a lot about the story. And you know, there's the great sort of story of something that looks like the tiny scratch. You're like, oh, it's no big deal. Um, Game of Thrones, the you know, Dragos, you know, whole massive, you know, leader of the the horse barbarians dies of a wound that's like a basically a scratch mm -hmm. um that's a crazy interesting sort of you know twist on on the yeah. old hit point problem sure um and you know whereas the you know like i said there's some stories where you want to be able to just see your barbarian take like a ton of arrows in the chest you know cut them off of their axe and just keep walking um i don't know like i i feel feel the story in the moment has got to have a sort of vibe to it and that the player if they're good they kind of know what their play their character you know what sets them back or what well you're right doesn't you know and, but again like if we know that then this marking of a harm anytime we write something down it's because it's important yeah right we don't write everything down it changes our character somehow we write the things down that stick with us that yeah. we're still holding if the barbarian can shrug off the arrows if they do so like so little harm to the barbarian that they're negligible right that they are they are shrugged off right for now at least you know. then don't write it down yeah some some other resources expend you know maybe a bit of the stress or the strain or this fatigue or whatever maybe these dw other dwindling resources that ex like represent heroic points of mm. my character doing what they're great at and for a barbarian it's ignoring the impact of an arrow right it's yeah. being able to take it to the chest no armor and just clock it right out toss it to the side well, I like keep going. Not, not even the clock it right out just like it just breaks it off of the, like the the side of his axe Whatever. and just keeps like or doesn't even does like they're just hanging out the back yeah you know? it's like they're all it's sticking like out porcupine. like porcupine yeah. quills and you're just still swinging away whatever it doesn't and affect, doesn't affect you. and i think that's what we're trying to do right we're trying to make this this heroic feeling adventure and sometimes the mechanics of all of the okay now i'm gonna stop and figure out half damage for that and how you know because it's reduced and da, da, da. okay now it's your turn now you go it's what just kills that game mm -hmm. um whereas you know whack 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 you know they fill it they you know th six arrows into the into your back um it hurts like hell it bleeds but it only fuels your rage further what, you know what yeah. do you do and i don't have to tell them that okay well that's reduced you by x amount or whatever but in your head you sort of as a dm you're like eh that wouldn't have killed them right or if, if, it's, if it's harmed them then write it down write it yeah. down in the harm section right yeah. and there can be different levels it could be minor it could be major exactly it could be mortal, or maybe it could be we whatever, have right? we have like, words that describe like we used to there was things like bloodied um you know there's there's words that could you could use to sort of just help players recognize the level 
Or again, like the yeah, item slots. These item, these empty slots are slowly getting filled with these injuries until there are no more slots that can be filled and yeah. you die, right? And there's yeah. still then a, technically a number of hits you can take, but each of these hits represents something, right? Yeah. They aren't just five, right? They aren't just seven, right? It's a spider bite that in D&D would have dealt seven net poison damage. Again, irrelevant if you're, you know, if you're not resistant or not whatever, or not one of the very scant few things that actually make damage types matter in the game. They are things that you think about in the fiction, right? Uh, uh, and if the bite itself is the piercingness of it is what is majorly harmful, that has a different effect than if what is majorly harmful about it is the seeping poison that's now running through your veins. What does the poison do? And right? again, why? What was it? That seven why, doesn't. What was happening that. in the story that got you there? Right? Why? Why were you up against facing these things? Why? Why did that matter to your character? Why is perhaps your sacrifice in this moment, you know, important? Mm. Um, and if none of it was, it's a really rubbish way for your place to end your character. Mm-hmm. So as a game master, like you've got to sort of remember, like, what are we doing here? That's another reason why I love resistance rolls in Blades in the Dark, right? Because there's always an option the player has to take any consequence yeah. that they're up against and make a resistance roll, right? It means the consequence is greatly res- lessened if not ignored. But what happens instead is they roll a number of dice, usually dependent on the kind of thing they're resisting, and they take six stress minus the number of the result but again think about this stress is this accumulating tension it is this heroic ability to shrug off danger and consequence it is that that cutthroat uh, a thing that puts you above the rest right and it is this resource that dwindles and dwindles right and so if a player feels like "Mm, this is not how the character would go out this is not they wouldn't you know technically this would be the last harm box i could fill but instead they would push through this they would evade it somehow even if it meant cutting into that stress right and down the line that causes trauma down the line that can lead to a pc having to retire or or settle down or drop out of the life for the mission entirely right yeah but this idea that there's agency and how the players control their narrative through what consequences they choose to interact with i like the idea of having uh, these crews are on ships the ship has got reputation Mm-hmm. The ship, the better you do, the more it grows, the more crew you get, more things are happening. Stealing a bunch of stuff from Matt Coville's um, uh, wow, strongholds and followers. And uh, and this idea of heat, also like the the more sort of from things that you've yeah, you're, you've sure. sort of been doing, the more the various authorities or powers that be or other pirate factions are kind of on to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got rivals uh, who, you know, interact with you. And I think there is a very easy way to trade. Okay, so you've put yourself in a near-death situation. Mistakes were made. Dice rolls didn't go your way so well, whatever. So as part of the story, you know, we're going to keep playing, but what will d- adjust is one of those other levers right Mm. your reputation your heat the way that your rivals now get maybe a boost uh, over you or you know there's a ton of other things besides your life that we can trade up in this game that will make it more interesting for everybody yeah (laughs) um going along line we've upped the stakes in a different way rather than having you roll up another character which would be kind of boring um and suck uh, although that is a type of game as well. Like, 
you know, I think there's ways to run a game that are completely designed to kill players all over the place, but they're cool with that. They're just ready to keep like reincarnating and regurgitating new characters and jumping back into the fray. That's a different sort of game. Uh, I think for, I think for fun, long-term role-playing games, you want a character. Right. Uh, Again, well, I think you, you measure everything against the expectations of what the group is, right? If the yeah. group's expectations are that we're telling a desperate story where we think no one's going to win, no one's going to survive. Sure. That's the story you want to tell. You absolutely can do. Right? Uh, yeah. Everyone is greedy and at each other's throats, and they're so blind to the, the real problem that's going to happen that it's all going to consume them, right? And whether that's at the bottom of the dungeon or at the top of this floating city, Avalier, you know, uh, Calamity reference. How, whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, certain stories can involve major PC death, right? Sure. And still be narratively meaningful. They're not all meat grinders. You know, death is a very impactful thing that happens, right? It's something that sticks with us. It's something that we kind of fear or have to have this complex relationship with, yeah. right? Yeah. Characters will have that I've, complex relationship as well. I have had characters well, right? die, um, sometimes quite surprisingly. And, um, but if that's the expectation. Yeah. Well, that's and sometimes the, it hasn't been expectation. Exactly. Sometimes it's, it's been like, holy crap, maybe what consider happened? implementing tools that give more players agency over controlling whether yeah. or not the consequence is death or something else. But right? then it is just a game, and you can make up more characters. Like, oh, my God, I have made 200 characters okay. that I've never played. Okay, okay, um, but what if, uh, what if it, again, what if it's deeply unsatisfying narratively in this moment it to is, you and the table? Well, exactly. For character if to it, die if in they this moment, died in, a, died in a, a situation that didn't make any sense or didn't add to the story, didn't push the story ahead, always feels a little like... Something else. What the hell did we just do? Like Again, that? stress, strain, something that will last, something that will linger, something that yeah. reflects a choice you made. Or at least right? in my death, can we at least the rest of the party learn something? Can okay. something have been gained or pushed forward? Again, or? though, but the choice for death, though, is a choice, yeah. right? And that's the way Blades handles it. And I think it's a delicate balance because I've seen endless videos, articles, whatever, on the idea that death doesn't quite feel good, doesn't feel right, right? And either it comes from the idea that there's this binary between either you want it to be a meat grinder and you don't care if PCs die and it's just a part of the game and a part of the rules and if it doesn't happen then nothing has stakes man or it's you know I don't want my characters to die because I want the story to go but you know and I and if they you know it's uh, thus the rules must cater and they must never be able to die and that's and such and such and um, I don't know I, I think there's a middle ground that exists that yes death is important because it holds stakes but a big part of it, at least being able to tell a satisfying story, includes the agreement of the table, right? Yeah. It includes the, you know, where are, are we all? Is this the moment where this character dies or does another consequence happen? You know, do they and, resist this and push through with this and the idea limited to thing that is To want up, your character right? to go out heroically, or right? In a moment We've like... episodes about this yeah, as well. In a moment but, like that where you think, oh, actually, you know what? Right now, given where this story is and what my character is about... I want her or him or them to, at this moment, can we do this like big thing where they, they do this heroic thing at the end, absolutely, and they kind of like save everybody, and it's kind of sad, and everybody's like, oh my god, I can't believe, no, you know what I mean? Like you want sure. that sort of moment in the thing, and then yeah, next week I'll come back with a new character and we'll work out how to integrate them in. But exactly, right? that was a great night. Like my character bad. died in a way that was sure. awesome. Because there's two things that we see that I, I've often seen as complaints. Either it's like, 
you know, I kind of wanted my character to die in that moment, but it's like they went to zero and yeah, or maybe even they died and it felt good. Oh, then I just revivify them, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I didn't want to be revivified. <laughs> Why'd you bring I, I, I made the sacrifice. That was the, the stakes right. were there. It happened. It, the emotions were real. You know, let's not tamper with that. That's what happened in this game, right? Yeah. And that to me is why I think it's important that Revivify has this one line that I think is ignored a lot that a soul must be willing to yeah. return, right? Yeah. You as a player being Revivified out there, everyone out there, uh, even DMs or whatever, I, I would suggest if people are going to try and do a Revivify, I think it needs to be talked about in advance. Right? True resurrection. You don't need to ban resurrection necessarily in your games. Maybe a player likes the idea of being Revivified, right? Yeah. Um, or maybe inflicts some sort of big, larger change or larger shift, right? Um, that measures that there were stakes and that something was lost or something was altered about a character, right? When yeah. they come back, right? But if a player doesn't want to be revivified, or if you're thinking about bringing them back as a cleric, talk to them before about what do you what do you think about the idea of being revivified, right? Do you want to actually try telling a new story with a new character? That we bring to the group or do you feel like this like a new leg of this other character's journey could come back i mean you think about um this is a bit controversial but molly mock and kingsley right yeah uh, a lot of people don't like the way that kingsley kind of ended up going which is fair enough you know not really their story it's not their it's not the one they're telling but they are a lot of people are paying to watch it so fair enough but i think at least there was a maybe maybe this is what feels icky about it i'm sure they talked about it and they were all comfortable with it but sometimes when you're observing, if it feels like it wasn't really the way the story should have gone, it wasn't really the way that, you know, wasn't really what the player intended. They they weren't imagining bringing the character back. And it's not to say that just because you can't imagine it or weren't expecting it that it shouldn't happen. But sometimes it's important to respect, even if you think it's this lovely thing you're doing, that this huge sacrifice of a 350 GP diamond to bring this person back, right? Maybe it's not what they want. Yeah. You know, it's not their, it's not necessarily your choice, right? Kind of theirs as well. Yeah. Uh, all of these situations are role play game situations. Mm -hmm. And role play, role play doesn't need that many rules, right? Role play is improv. It's, uh, sort of every just leaning into their natural storytelling abilities and um, going from there. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I think um, we, I don't know if we'll do, do another I think we will. Episode before you go away. Absolutely. Maybe. Hopefully. Let's do it. I mean, a lot of this stuff committed. is for us. Uh, I know that there's other listeners out there. And thank you for tuning in. I hope you get but this has, you know, this has been largely a project for you and I. Absolutely. Um, that I've enjoyed doing so much. And I feel like we've learned and even like we can go back. And as I look at these various episodes over the years, I can see our growth as players and game masters and see our sort of journey and our path with this and how we sort of changed and evolved into this whole thing. Um, you know, how, how rules is written. We began mm -hmm. in this and how we're, 
where we are now is feels so much different. Like it feels honestly <sighs> grab a couple of dice. I don't even care which ones, although I do like the D20 a lot uh, and D12s and get to sit down at a table with paper and a couple pencils and we could just make up a game and a story you know, have a few people around. As long as there's conflict and tension it, and uh, choices yeah, exactly. that are hard and changes that we make to ourselves in the world. Don't around necessarily us. need encyclopedias, size books of of classes or characters or anything. I, I really think that so much. And it also comes down to the players. I mean, I think a lot of the rule books are great because in the beginning, people need guidance. They need to figure out how to do these things. You know, we read through all of these books for inspiration and ideas and you know we've watched a lot of people other people play and just you know picked up so many things and then put those into practice and saw stuff that worked and didn't work and hmm. you know here we are um and i don't know i feel i feel so lucky and grateful to have been on this journey with you to a point now where um Again, I, I don't know if we need if we need any rules sometimes. Um, and and that's not to say that, you know, I'm against 5e or against D&D or D&D 1 or whatever's coming out. Um, I am actually a big fan that there's loads of other options. Um, I think that it's, I think that the a diverse ecosystem is good for everybody. Hmm. Uh, it gets more ideas floating around, more creativity. Um, yeah, to me the rules are, and in terms of saying no rules, I think to me the rules are the agreements we make to each other yeah. to tell a story where we all have a feeling that we understand what's going on. We're on the same page. Sure. We all have agency here. We're all safe but challenged. Absolutely. Right? And to me rules facilitate that over everything else. And, you know, they go layers and branch. It's like a great tree, you know. It might be built on a core foundation, but it branches off how many times, you know. And the tree of D&D has what feels like endless branches yeah. and sub-rules yeah. and classes and, look, and subclasses. And, and I've been guilty of being a rules lawyer at the table. Right? It's a million branches. Many times going, well, but the rules in 5e say you can do X, Y, and Z. And, and, yeah. and you know, it, it's hard when you've got a detailed rule system that you know very well not to be a rules lawyer because you're like well isn't that what we all agreed where sometimes you know the, the idea of not knowing that many rules or not knowing or not having even those many rules is that at no point then does somebody go oh well on page 142 it says x instead you're just going to go yes and yeah well again the rule there is different the rule isn't specific the rule is uh, inductive of creating your own answer, right? Yeah. It's it's a prompt. It's not a pre-generated response, right? It's an open-ended question, not a one with a definitive answer. Yeah. Well, I hope our open-ended uh, ending to this podcast is one that uh, allows us to make many more interesting journeys um, mm. regardless of what systems or rules may lay ahead of us mm. um and uh i think for now we should sign off with a big goodbye 
And if we do come back and have bonus episodes, it'll be uh, a pleasant surprise. But uh, this, for now, as far as we know, might be the last LDLS, at least for some time. Mm. So thank you all for very much for joining us on this cool, long journey. And thank you, Jack, for being here with me most weeks as we found something else in D&D to talk about. Yeah. The little wormlings finally progressed to a young dragon. Or something like that. Something like that. And uh, or, or if the, I don't get my own layer soon. Are the little eggs of the slod hatching? Is that what's happening? Oh, is that what's happening? Oh, God. That's much grosser. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, I know. D&D's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. If there's one lesson, add slots to your game. <laughs> yeah, slots That's to the your one takeaway. <laughs> yeah, right. Nice, uh, folks. Thanks for joining us. Remember, owl bears can fly. That's right. Team owl bear, not team fireball. And uh, and you know, stay stay frosty out there. Keep looking out for new new ideas, new ways you can change up your game, new things to put in it, and uh, you know, lean into the storytelling. That's where the fun is in the improv improv don't don't plan too take much take an improv course yeah that's my first yeah go take some improv class. i should follow that advice actually yeah take an, see if sign up for an improv university's got an improv class i'm sure they do it'd be fun yeah all right folks thanks for joining us have a wonderful evening you know let's not no big no there's no expectation to have a great life just have a good evening yeah, yeah. and we'll uh and hopefully we'll talk to you soon bye-bye <laughs> <laughs>